a podcast by Vision Point Marketing. Hey, thank you for joining us today. I'm Dana Cruikshank, Vice President of Business Development here at Vision Point Marketing. Uh, I am joined today by uh, Kim Shank, who is a account director here with us at Vision Point and also a former senior director of admissions with over uh, 13 years of experience in enrollment management, which is remarkable. So look, so excited to have you. I mean, you've been on, you've been with us now, what, for about a year now? Is that right? Almost. I started in March. March 11th was my first day. Gotcha. Started at Vision Point on March 11th. So that's great. Um, and then prior to that, like we, like we just said, 13 years in enrollment management. Um, tell me a little bit about the roles that you had back in the day. Back in the day, it was behind a table. I was a road warrior for about six years, and that yielded a ton of experience working with prospective students, their families, the challenges, um, what the industry was. Uh, and now I've had the opportunity to see it change over the past, I'd say, five years specifically. But Prior to that, like I said, I was a road warrior for about six years. So I was traveling. I had different territories, geographic territories, and then different responsibilities within the office that I was responsible for um, producing on. And throughout that, I really was drawn into the ambassador organization. So working with our current students and turning them into mini recruiters, I'd say for admissions, and then also the events. So I started to put together all of our yield events. I started to work primarily with the ambassadors while I still had a recruitment territory. So I shifted into this kind of campus visit guru where I was overseeing all of the campus visit operation. I was the director of campus visit operations. I oversaw the ambassadors, the student employees. And then from there, um, I got really looped into um, relationships and building relationships outside of admissions. So with different down, like for example, the Downtown Bethlehem Association, they asked me to start working with partners and businesses down there to pair up with them in the community to assist with admissions events and different types of initiatives that we had with admissions and getting mm -hmm. prospective students downtown, all while re retaining some sort of small recruitment territory. So I was always still connected to recruiting a group of students no matter what, even if it was small, even if I was responsible for 10 deposits coming in with the class, I still had some sort of connection. Always had and, your hands on the hands on the pulse, as it were. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So yep. that I knew what I was doing. Um, and then throughout that, I then started to become more involved with the overall operation of admissions, really starting to look into strategically how we would meet our class. And that's when a new vice president came in and decided that um, I would be a good director of admissions, which I told her she was absolutely crazy. I am not a director of admissions. And I became the director of admissions and started to voluntold to do the job, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I, I fell into that and she was the best person. She was the former VP at Drew. Iona, I mean, she's just a, a legend in um, in higher ed. So wow. I was very fortunate. So then I became the director of admissions, really started to get into the marketing, how we're speaking to students, um, 
and in through what types of methods that we were using. Uh, I oversaw the staff and then um, senior director of admissions got through COVID and um, felt pretty burnt out and got to Vision Point. Vision Point took me in. <laughs> well, that's great. And I know um, up, up there at Moravian, there in Eastern Pennsylvania, um, mm -hmm. That's a pretty competitive part of the country to be in uh, for a lot of institutions, declining demographics and so forth. So, um, yes, hotbed. Yeah. yeah, we were in a lot of competitive um, negotiations with families. Let's just say that. <laughs> sure. I can only imagine. So, um, well, by the time folks are, are hearing this message, uh, it'll be 2023. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that that path that you just described of starting out, doing the admissions fairs, doing that, being that road warrior for years, then just moving up, moving up, moving up. That's a pretty familiar story to a lot of folks in the admissions world, either who have completed that same journey and they're directors of admissions and, or admissions marketing uh, themselves or are somewhere kind of on that, that path right now. Um, I'm just kind of curious now with all those years of experience, as well as time now spent on the other side of the fence here at Vision Point, folks are coming back into this new year. 2023 is all in front of them. Uh, it's a challenging time, challenging world. Just, just kind of curious, you know, what are some, what are some things that you would, uh, what are some things that you would tell them, you know, based on what you know now and uh, haven't been in their shoes? I would say um, for right now, January, February, I would say, don't, don't give up. Don't <laughs> stay, stay positive. Um, either you're coming back from the holiday feeling refreshed and, and re-energized, or you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders because of the fact that you're responsible for a budget. And I know that, um, there are, a lot of different sayings that people will throw out there. Um, I, and those corny sayings, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but mm -hmm. we all know in, in higher ed and in admissions, yes, there's the marathon, but there are little mini sprints throughout that marathon that you need to be able to respond to and you need to be able to address in the moment and do so so that it's strategic and stays aligned with what you were still, what the end goal is. Um, talk, so, to me about, what, talk to me about what some of those mini sprints might look like actually. Oh, okay. Yes. So mini sprints, I would say, um, for example, you know, that your end goal, your number of butts and seats that you need to get to is 350. For example, um, you have as an enrollment manager, uh, assigned each admission territory, geographic territory, that manager is responsible for bringing in a certain number of students, for example. And you on a, on a almost everyday basis, once you're coming back from break, you're analyzing that funnel, you're going through and you're seeing that one of your um, main recruiters that is responsible for bringing in, let's say, 20% of the incoming deposits um, those deposits, those application numbers are down, but overall you're hitting, you're hitting your goals. You're hitting your goals. You're, you, you know, that you've got the applications you're on track to get your number of applications to get to your accepts, to get to your deposits. But you know, that this counselor is saying to themselves, I don't think I'm going to get to my app goal, Kim, 
that's that's a sprint opportunity because you know that you have to respond quickly and swiftly to be able to address that issue. You can't let one of your largest, um, I would say, cohorts of, of applicants accepts and deposits come in short because that will overall affect the end goal. So you would want to respond to uh, by example, just putting out there uh, an opportunity, working with your marketing partner and um, going out there to re-engage with students that are still in the inquiry phase. Maybe they're a prospect in your CRM and you have this opportunity, this glowing opportunity. Um, we used to call, we, we would sometimes use these special incentives as like a a certain geographic location application, for example, um, it's a priority app. You're you've been selected for a priority application, and we really want to see you apply. So you re-engage and you give them this opportunity to come through and say, "Oh my gosh, I was selected. You know, I was I was chosen." Yep. So get those app numbers up. Um, that's, but that's a sprint. I mean, that's like, you need to get your communications, your letters out to families. You know, you're, you're going throughout the whole entire communication, pretty much journey in a matter of maybe two or three weeks. So you're doing it quickly. You're working with your marketing office to get the letters drafted, written. You're working with your CRM specialists to get the email journeys out. You're working with your counselor to make sure that they're texting and they're going through all of the students that they need to hit because it's a certain number of students that you're trying to, to focus on. So those little sprints, um, depending on where you are in, in, the, in the funnel, do come up. Gotcha. So, uh, so what you're saying is that it, that year long cycle now, it's not a, it, it is a marathon. And then every, every one and a half miles or so you have to do a 40 yard dash or some such to complete it through. That's a great way of describing it. Absolutely. That year long cycle, that cyclical cycle seasonality of admissions is gone. Really? Yes. I don't, I don't think that it's a, in my opinion, what I have seen over the years is that it was a very um, predictable almost cycle. You're you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I'm going to recruit in the fall. I'm going to go out to my high schools. I'm going to gather, 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 gather. And then all of these kids are going to apply at once and they're all going to get accepted at once and they're all going to get their financial aid awards and everybody's going to be happy in this, in this early winter, spring time frame. And then we're going to have our accepted students days in in April and March. And, and we're just, it, everybody's going to be deposited by that May 1st deadline. Well, obviously we know NACAC changed those rules, but throughout that change, there has been um, a shift. I mean, we have students that are not looking at schools necessarily in the fall anymore. There's too many competing priorities in the fall. Sometimes it could be sports. So you have this group of students that are really starting to look now in the early spring. Um, you have different starts at different schools, depending on what kind of student you come in as. Um, there are, I would say you're yielding, you're, you're recruiting, you're yielding. It's all happening at the same time now. Just that, yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, as, as an enrollment manager, you you've got to 
you've got to be able to discern in the data that you're yanking out of your CRM. You've got to be able to discern. You can look at a dashboard and a dashboard can tell you a story, but you've got to be, um, you've got to be able to really look into the different populations that are on that dashboard to make the right assumption on how to move forward. Gotcha. So, but I think when, you know, when folks are listening to this, we're, we're getting into the awards season for uh, the movies and hopefully one of my favorite movies of 2022 has gotten nominated everything everywhere all at once. Uh, <laughs> sounds like that's a pretty good description of the, uh, of the emission cycle right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love that. Yes. That is <laughs> accurate description for a movie title. Yes. Well, there it is a, a multiverse of of possibilities, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of zooming out a little bit more as well. Um, thinking through just where where you are now, almost a year uh, working at Vision Point, uh, getting to see the enrollment operations at a number of different institutions, uh, but also just having a little bit of perspective from that uh, kind of day to day spot. Um, in addition to you know being able to uh, stay focused for the marathon and all and all, you know what else. What else would you want to share with your former colleagues, uh, you know, just based on this new, newfound perspective? I would 100% lean more on my marketing partner to do strategic retargeting, um, to different populations, depending on where you are in the cycle and depending on what areas you may not be hitting benchmarks or you need to get additional messaging out. Um, and a lot of what needs to happen, you need a marketing partner that's going to be nimble enough to be able to respond to that and to be able to do it uh, quickly and, and do it well. But so much of what a good admissions office does is they do a really good job at micro recruiting and that's your people. Those are your admissions counselors. Those are the people that are making and building those relationships, but there's a lot of nuances to the messaging that gets out there. And if I had the ability to go back, I would ask for additional resources <laughs> in my relationship with my marketing partners to have different messaging and ad sets and advertising um, to go out to specific populations, depending on where we are in the cycle. Just for example, um, you're coming back in January and February, you're looking at your application numbers. You may see that you've hit the application number but your number of incompletes are through the roof. You know, the, where's the affinity with those students? I would be taking all of those incomplete applications and I would take those applicants and I would put them in and package them into a CRM list. I would have some sort of messaging um, to retarget those folks on different platforms and meeting them where they are at. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, you can continue to email and, and blast all of your students, your parents, your influencers, but are they really opening that email? Are they really reading that? Or would a display banner when they're surfing the, the web be something that is kind of big brother creepy, but also 
reminding them, hey, I need to, I need to complete my application, or did I submit the FAFSA? I may have, I may have submitted it, but did I do that? Did I add that college? And they're telling me to do that. Maybe I didn't do it. I need to go back into my FAFSA and double check. Or did I visit, like, did I, did I register for that accepted student's day? I don't know. I need to double check. So those different types of lists, I would want to package up, send over and look at creative and it not just be an email. I would rather look at different ways of targeting those, those folks. Yeah. So 2022, the big buzzword that we all heard was the great resignation and so forth. A lot of folks left and moved on um, to other positions. There has been some really eye-opening research in the last, um, just in the last month or so about just how uh, frankly, just demoralized a lot of folks in higher education uh, administration are. And that includes enrollment marketing, enrollment directors, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and a lot of folks are thinking about, hey, I just need to get out of higher ed altogether. Uh, this, this Things have changed so much. I'm not getting the resources I need and so forth. Um, you know, what would you say to somebody in that position right now? Hmm. That's a really good question. You can come back to uh, it too. I uh, I know how it feels, so I would I would definitely have empathy. Um, I think that so much of what the expectation previously was of this role um, doesn't necessarily fit the box or the mold of what the type of um, employee is now. I mean, and I, and I want to be very careful with this, the, Mm -hmm. because work-life balance is extremely important and it is a cultural push. And unfortunately with this type of work, there is not number one, the work-life balance, because you're meeting people where they're at. And a lot of that is in the evenings, you know, you're calling people, you're working on the weekends so that you're open for business. So people can come and visit. So you're being pulled to work a lot of hours without having, um, we'll just put it out there. A a lot of higher ed institutions don't have the budgets to pay. And, and and to retain and properly um, afford the talent that they have and and that they're keeping. Um, so there has to be other ways to keep employees engaged and to keep employees motivated. Um, and and that's really trying to get to know them and kind of finding those motivators. Um, but I would say if you're looking to jump ship, um, I can't say don't do it because I did it. I, I went to the other side. So, and I, and I am happy with, with my choice. Um, but I would say if it's going to work for you to stay in the position, I implore you to, um, explore different options to, to feel valued and motivated. Um, and if you feel like you can't do that at that institution, uh, there are plenty of people that are looking right now for good, strong work ethic and em- employees that have work ethic really. And, 
and are willing to pay. I can tell you that a lot of my friends are struggling right now to fill positions that um, that need that. They're the they're just not there. The bodies are not there to fill them. You know, there's so much there that I love what you just said. Um, I I left higher ed, I left the institutional side of higher ed about five years ago. And so much of what you're saying really resonates with me that um, as a leader, your own people, their expectations around work have changed. Um, and it can be hard within the strictures of an institution to be able to kind of pivot and adjust to those new realities. But it's it's also, it's just what we have to do uh, at mm-hmm. the same time. One other thing too that I have seen, <clears throat> uh, there's been kind of this, this shift. I, I feel like Really, particularly institutions that were in smaller cities, uh, more economically challenged areas, rural areas, and so forth, there's kind of always this assumption of, well, these are good jobs in this area, and we will always have a seemingly inexhaustible supply of people who will want to get in to work at at the university because this is a good, stable job, um, and therefore we can have those expectations on them of, you're going to be working those weekends and nights, you're going to be doing these things. And I, I wonder the extent of which uh, that that calculus has really changed and institutions are just now stepping up to that realization of, oh, people have options, uh, especially with remote and hybrid work. Oh, people may not yeah, be looking for a 30-year career at the institution no matter what and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an interesting think, time. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would say introducing the remote option after COVID has definitely opened up eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um, interesting in that regard. Well, let me ask you a question in a similar vein. So given your experience and given everything uh, that you've seen and given your new role and so forth, what would you say to college presidents right now or these VPs of enrollment uh, or whatever that position looks like, the folks to whom you and your former peers were reporting to in the past, not to your specific president, of course, but um, just in general, leadership you know, if you could tell them a message on behalf of everybody else of, you know, maybe something that they just don't quite get, um, what would that be? I would first start from the beginning and, um, and it's so almost like you shouldn't even say it, but, um, I would start to walk away from the strategy of list buys Tell me more. Okay. That's interesting. Tell me more. Um, list buys for me have been, uh, have been a great experience in understanding how traditionally we have gotten the population of students that we have, but the, the <laughs> truthfully, they don't really come through the funnel and, I feel as if reinvesting that money into different initiatives, marketing initiatives to find different ways to gather those leads and then work those leads internally. Um, If you have a good, strong admission staff, I, I would almost start from scratch and think of a different way of getting leads versus going out and purchasing a list buy. You can always do that just to have your prospects. Um, but I, I just have, I over the years, I just have not seen those list buys, mm-hmm. um, those larger list buys being um, 
truthfully really qualifying through the funnel. And, and that's, and that's been a big, that's been a big shift, I think, especially for higher leadership because they've always depended. And it's, and it's almost like a security blanket. I mean, people don't, people don't want to go to sleep without it. They don't want to start the season without it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting one. Somebody, a a doctor once told me that, um, medical, medical education is a funny thing. It stops the moment you graduate, um, medical school. And, you know, it was a little tongue in cheek, but basically saying what you were taught when you graduate in med school, what you were taught in your residency, you carry, yeah, there's continuing ed and all that, but you carry those patterns. You carry those beliefs about how things are done all the way through your medical career. And I do feel like for a lot of academic leaders, uh, it's kind of a similar thing that if you were, if you had a hand in this 10 or 15 years ago, list buys were a much more important thing. And it just, it's so, I love that security blanket analogy that you use because it does seem that way. It's, it's tough to put that down and think, oh, alternatives to lead generation. And that also really tracks with what we've been hearing from clients now for a few years of, you know, at, at a certain point, there's no more names to buy. You can't expand. <laughs> you can only expand that list of, uh, you know, you can only expand the parameters of your list by and expect, to, like you said, expect to actually get a return on that um, for so yeah. long. Yeah. And I think a lot of institutions, if they're, if they aren't there already, they got there uh, a couple of years back of, okay, there's just no, there's no more lists to buy, no more names to buy. That's going to move the needle for us uh, in a meaningful way. Yeah. It's really, it's, how you're qualifying, I think your inquiries as they're coming in, um, engaging, you know, what, in what way are they engaging with the institution? Um, you know, for us, we started before I had left, um, really looking at the, the inquiries that were in the CRM and qualifying them and saying, you know what, and and looking at the yield percentages based off of the different populations and the number of um, touches they had throughout the journey. And for us, that that list by really didn't yield (laughs) when you got through Mm -hmm. to the end of the journey. Um, You know, you look at somebody that came on a, on a group visit with a high school to a college campus as a as a freshman, um, just as like a introduction to, to college life type of campus tour, um, as a freshman, they had more of a chance of going through the funnel and getting to the end versus a list by name that you were paying for and sending mail pieces to. I mean, you're not just purchasing the name. And I think that that's where people lose sight of how much these, these names cost, because you're not just purchasing the name. When you buy the name, you're, you're paying for them in so many other ways. I mean, you're putting together inquiry packets. If, if colleges still do, and, and I am still, I am old school in the sense of, I, yes, I believe in mail. I still believe in mail. I still believe in sending, that view book in in sending that piece home because that parent, that influencer, whoever it is, or to the guidance, the school counselors, that piece of information is still important to this generation of- I was going to say, and the research backs that up. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, but 
do you know, like people need to realize like postage is, is expensive. And a lot of people don't have that line in their budget when they're thinking about, Hey, we're going to mail inquiry packets to these 300,000 names that we've purchased. Or, you know, like there's just, you have to think through how much this name is going to fully cost and, and how much the cost of a student is when you get down to the brass tacks. And when you're talking about mailing them a view book, when you're talking about mailing them any type of in-person swag, for example, like if you want to mail them something to engage them, to get them to start an application or visit campus, all of that costs money. Everything costs money for the student. And um, the the list by methodology, um, it, it's expensive. It's really expensive right now. Hmm. Well, um, similar note then for the what would you tell someone? So let's talk about uh, parents and uh, perspe- parents, prospective students and so forth. Given all your experience, given what you've known, and I know there's been a number of, uh, we'll say, best-selling books that have covered this topic, but what do you feel like, uh, what would you tell them as a former director of admissions uh, and, and in your position now about about this whole process, the whole college search and selection process that maybe they don't realize? Speaking to parents and influencers, um, the price tag is scary no matter what what you're looking at. It, it is always a scary um, endeavor to take on. Um, but you want to find the right fit for your student. And finding that best fit is not only beneficial for the school, because the school does make an investment in, in your student, um, but it's it's really for you as well. So I would be doing a lot of homework and starting early. I, it, for me, I am still in the old school mindset of, Hey, sophomore, junior year, start talking, start having the conversations, start introducing them to different institutions. It doesn't have to be necessarily the four year private institution or public institution. There are many different paths. There are, there are two-year universities. There's, there's just so many different ways to go about it nowadays. And be flexible with that because it is your, it is your, your son or daughter, you know, it, it is your child that's going through the process. And I know that being involved is very important because you want to make sure it's the best decision for your student, but giving them, giving your, your child all of the information that they possibly could have up front of here are your options. And, and I do want to make this plug and I, and I'm probably going to get um, from my, admissions friends um, that are still in the industry, uh, don't introduce colleges and universities to your child when you know that you A, can't afford it, or B, don't want your, your child to take on that level of debt. Don't get your child wrapped into a situation where they're being worked by an admissions staff. They fall in love with the school. They fall in love with 
some sort of aspect of the school, but you know, brass tacks, bottom dollar, it's not going to work. Don't give them that false hope. Um, I would be very realistic with them up front and say, here, these are these are options. You don't necessarily have to go to a four-year. You can go here, you can go there, you can do this, you can do that. But just be very realistic with them up front um, because affordability is a, is a big, um, I would say, tense conversation in in the spring for for a lot of families that they that kids are ending up brokenhearted because their parents are saying no we can't do it you know don't even get them down that path if you can't do it um and and be very very open to different types of journeys because every student is different and every Every child is different. One one child may go to a four-year university and do really well. Another child may, another one of your kids may do really well with going into the workforce for a little bit and then coming back as, as an adult learner. I would be very um, flexible depending on what type of needs they have in that moment. That makes sense. That really makes sense. It's, um, I did want to pick up on something. This is really random. You had mentioned micro admissions versus macro admissions. And I get the concept, but I'm not sure everybody does. Tell us a little bit about what that means, the difference micro versus macro admissions. Number one, you need, before you can make any decisions on micro recruitment or micro yielding, you need to understand your data and being able to pull your data, having somebody that can decipher the data. Um, that is that is huge. So if you don't have an operations team within the admissions enrollment department, try to advocate for one. Um, that analyst that or or find a marketing partner that does have the capability to analyze data. Um, you want to be able to add, to assess and and analyze data two years before COVID and then the two years after COVID where we're at right now. And you wanna be able to start to gain insights into your funnel that way. You wanna be able to look at each territory, how did each geographic territory yield? Um, where was our sweet spot in that certain territory? And it's, it's like I said, it's it's micro recruitment and then micro yielding. So micro recruitment is going out there, hitting your top feeder schools. You need to sit down and you need to make a list with with your enrollment team and say, where are our top feeder schools in each geographic territory? How are we treating them? What are our relationships like with those school counselors? How are we working with those students? Are we sending them special messages? Are we working with them by not just visiting the high school? Because a lot of schools, to be honest with you, ever since COVID have ditched the high school visit. I mean, they're back, but mm -hmm. they're not fully back yet. So how are we treating those, those top feeder school geographic territories? Are you going to a Starbucks and are you alerting these parent influencers, these students that you're going to be at a Starbucks for an hour and a half in the evening on Tuesday, November 3rd? Come and talk to me if you can't come and talk to me during school because you have an AP class that you can't get out of while I'm there. There's a lot of challenges in visiting high schools nowadays um, and getting to see students. So 
How are you making that connection? So really looking at that data, looking at all of your inquiries, what are what is a qualified inquiry versus not a qualified inquiry? Are you looking at how many touch points they've had? Did they visit campus? What type of campus visit did they have? Are they an, a, a recruited athlete? Um, did they add your profile on niche, for example? How are you looking at your inquiry sources and how are you qualifying them? Um, and then how are you working that into your travel planning and, and working that into an instant decision day? Are you looking at your top feeder schools and saying, hey, I'm going to come visit you and do instant decision days on the spot. I'll accept you on the spot and give you a preliminary um, scholarship range as long as the academic information you're representing at the time is accurate. So that's that micro recruitment piece. How are we getting in the weeds? And then how, how are they responding? So are, are they visiting campus? Are they applying? And that's where you start to look at the funnel. And from there, micro yielding, I mean, you're jumping into again, that funnel and you're saying, did they visit campus? Did they file a FAFSA? Um, are they completed or incompleted? Um, they're, they're just, did they visit the microsite? Did they, you know, and you can track all of that information with your marketing partner um, is being able to see when they've hit, how many times they've hit. And that shows engagement. Did they sign up for an accepted student's date? If not, you need to push them to do that. But all of that is done with a very careful eye and being able to have your dashboards in front of you <laughs> and being able to discern what each dashboard is saying. And it, and I hate being like this, but, um, and my, my partners, my peers in, in higher ed will probably laugh that I'm saying this, but, um, especially for micro yielding, we start doing hot, medium, cold lists. And that has really helped, um, helped us reframe what type of students we're, we're going after and, and how we're speaking to them. So hot, medium, cold lists. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, you said some interesting things there of, uh, about dashboards, for example. Um, it's interesting to me how many, um, it's interesting to me how many enrollment marketers and then directors of enrollment and admissions and so forth, uh, don't have that kind of handle on their data. Um, just don't have the, don't have that traction, as we say in the business world, um, into their data. Don't have those looks and views. Um, why do you think that is, and what can institutions do about it? Oh, it's budget. Okay, it's budget. Um, and I can tell you, I, I had it. I was doing it before I had it, and then I was doing it when I did have it, and it's a heck of a lot easier and um, a lot more fun too, when you get to look at the dashboards and you get to see the student's journey, but it's totally budget. I mean, you have institutions that are like, okay, we know we have to move to a CRM. We know we need some sort of customer management system. You know, do we go with Slate? Do we go with Salesforce? What, what are we going to do? We got to pick one or the two, because mm -hmm. really there's not many others out there that would, I would say are competitive enough to stand up to the test. So you're looking at one of the two. Um, they're expensive. Dana, you know that. They're oh, yeah. expensive. And not only are they expensive, but they you, you get one option where 
they basically frame it for you and then you build everything on your own. If yep. you don't have an, if you don't have a proper IT operations but an admissions operations person to be able to look through the lens of a recruiter and be able like to set up those dashboards the way a recruiter needed. It took me two years to do that before I left my institution. And I'm not an operations person, mm -hmm. but I told my director of operations, who's not a recruiter, what I needed. And then she built it. And then it, it, it just, there needs to be a relationship there. But if you don't have that, and then if you don't have the budget to pay for Salesforce or Slate to create all of that for you, um, you're really in a tough position. So sure. you, you can pull the lists, but you don't really know what you're doing with the list because you don't know how to measure it based off of the dashboard, what it's telling you. Yeah, that that that's really been something we've consistently seen over the past couple of years as well. I always joke too with the CRM system. It's like an 18 speed bicycle. Most people know how to use three gears, but you have this sense of like, okay, I've got this figured out, but I know there's so much more that we could have done. And when we made the justification for this huge financial investment, uh, we thought we were going to be able to do so much more and we just can't quite get there. Um, how do you pick a good partner to help you with that? I mean, obviously it's something we do at Vision Point and it's a capability we've expanded because we've seen that demand, but how do you pick a good partner to do that? You need to have a partner that's going to understand um, the, I, in my mind, the weeds of admissions and enrollment and, and you need to be able to have somebody come in and be honest with you about the operation and really take a, a 10,000 foot view of what is happening strategically and then be able to understand what it takes in the weeds to make the things happen on the top. And that's not, that's a very um, general way of explaining it, but you need to be able to find a partner that gets enrollment and that gets admissions and can speak directly to the recruiters in their language. And it's, it's hard. I've seen, I've seen other agencies that have really kind of put it out there, but haven't been able to back up the, the specialization that's needed. And every school it's, it's that sea of sameness. Yep. You need to find a partner that's going to understand you as an institution, yep. not just loop you into, hey, this is a four-year. Hey, this is a two-year. This is a small. This is a big. Every You need to find a partner that's going to be distinctive in finding what makes that institution different, capitalize on it, and then plug in the holes where there's weaknesses and it's not even weaknesses or, or, or I would just say areas that, that need help. You know, it's, it's not necessarily weakness. It's just like, I need, I need help here. Um, yeah. and it's. Yeah. It's, we, we have, we've really seen that at vision point of, um, seeing that merge of marketing and enrollment happening um, and then being able to really hire professionals like yourself who've been on uh, the enrollment side of the fence as well as the marketing side of the fence to understand where those pieces fit together. 
and to understand those, um, just understand the challenges, but also understand where the opportunities lie in things like getting that traction on your data uh, and so forth. It's, um, I don't know, it's an interesting time in that regard, but. Um, There's so many different nuances to the admissions process and the populations that you serve and different messaging. And you just, you need a partner that's going to be, that's going to be nimble. That's going to be able to, to swiftly move with you and, and just kind of hear you out. I mean, I've, I've found that working with a lot of the clients that I have, sometimes they, they just need somebody to, to lean on and, and to talk to and talk through the challenges and, and to brainstorm how, how they can approach it internally without drawing so much on, on resources. So it's, um, you need a strategic partner in it as well. Uh, now, I mentioned before that uh, we've been seeing this meld over the past decade or so of marketing and enrollment and so forth. What do you think it is that most marketing people don't get about enrollment people? And what do you think it is most enrollment people don't get about marketing people uh, within the higher ed context, if you will? Oh my gosh. So, and it's funny you bring this up because before I had left uh, my position, I had started to invite the um, communications director in the marketing office to start doing college fairs um, and start to get the experience behind the table, talking to families, being in the moment, being able to understand the sales mentality that goes into to the job and the pressure. Um, and then she started inviting me into the weeds of understanding different messaging and understand the um, different ways that design works into a view book. And she started to teach me what a view book, how it's put together. And having that opportunity to cross train and shadow was invaluable. Hmm. Um, I would definitely say to any marketing professional um, that is looking to learn more about admissions, I would invite them to do a college night with an admission counselor, do one evening of phone calling to prospective students in the recruitment phase where you are trying to get them to apply and then do one evening in the yield phase where you're trying to get them to deposit and and or talk about your financial aid package um, and affordability. And I would invite them to also go to any type of events on campus because that's going to give you like you want to see your institution's juju on that day. So you want to be able to bottle that up and be able to put that into your communications because that is typically when the magic happens is when students visit campus and they become really drawn. So I would say that type of relationship. And then for any type of enrollment professional, oh my goodness, if I could have gone back and really understood what each platform did, mm -hmm. uh, what each ad set 
meant um, be able to lean on my marketing agency more with assisting me in just the general messaging of retargeting students that haven't visited campus yet that need to apply or they need to visit or they need to fill out their FAFSA, really understanding how each channel worked and the metrics, um, I would implore them to, to really start to dig their heels in into that. And it's and it's so hard because the summer used to be the time where um, admissions professionals got the opportunity to to have downtime, to, to actually go on a vacation um, and learn more about their responsibilities within their, aside from their recruitment responsibilities. And the summer has just turned into not losing a student because, um, you know, you can go after students now. So it's during the summer, it's, it's, a war zone, at least it was where, where I was. <laughs> uh, war zone actually is a pretty good description for a lot of, yeah. Yeah. During the summer, it's, it's not, it used to be a really nice time for admissions. Now you're just biting your fingernails and you're hoping that everybody shows up or they're not coming back to you with, Hey, this, this school just offered me this much more money. And I'm going to go there unless you can meet that number. And it's just, it gets really messy. I, it's funny. I I think about one of my favorite shows watching in 2022 was um, Succession. I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch that. Yes. Such a good show, right? There's there's that, there's that spot where, um, you know, the main character says, what is life? It's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight for a knife in the mud. Uh, I, I feel like college admissions went from being something a little bit more of the Kendall uh, version to of you know trying to explore and find holistic and beautiful thoughts to just for a lot of folks now, especially post NACAC. Yes, it's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight for a student in the mud, as it were. So, absolutely, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of institutions out there that um, that are kind of like you know, in my mind, like Shiv, you know, from from Succession. They yes. they get they get what they get because they're first in line. They have it, um, but there's all these other uh, colleges out there that are scrapping and that are really working like your Kendall's or your Romans. And it's, uh, they're fighting for their, their chance to shine as well. And you never know, they may come up and, and snag one of your students away. And I've, I've been seeing it happen. It's, it's, uh, there's been times where I've been surprised that I've stolen a student, not, not intentionally, but gotten a student that, um, that really could have gone to a more prestigious name, but the fit was better with my institution and that, um, that worked, you know, and we, we got them. I'm not going to ask you to name names here, but I just, I love what you're, what you just set up here, right. Is if we think about the Roy children in succession and then think about who those, what, what types of institutions are right. Like, like you said, there's uh there's Shiv who, 
is in line. She's got the pedigree. She plays the game. She looks the part and just is expecting you to just kind of roll in. I feel like you have the, the Kendall's who are, that's maybe the most who are struggling yeah. and they want to do the right thing. And it's just like the world, the game keeps changing on them. And they're, they're, they're hooked they're they're addicted to things that they're not, but like list buys and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's just, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Yes. And then you have, uh, and then you have the Romans who, you know, maybe Roman Roy, who is maybe, uh, you know, not afraid That's to, yeah. yeah, a little, a little bit more amoral kind of just looking out, but also doesn't quite get it kind of thing. And then I think about, um, uh, Connor Roy, right? Like the Connor Roy's are out there still like those smaller institutions that are just like, Hey, and it just seems to work out for him. Yeah. It just like, seems to work out. They make all sorts of mistakes, but it's like a clown car crashing into a gold mine. It just works out and it's fine. Uh, oh, wait, we have nailed this. We yes, have figured yeah. out. Yes, that is that is exactly succession characters. Yes, in, in terms of uh, different institutions. Yeah, love that. But who's Lo- who's Logan? Where well, see, Logan? I'm trying to figure that out as well. Who is Logan? See, I think Logan is like the Department of Ed. No, that's not exactly right. Logan is U.S. News and World Report. And oh. the college board and all those people, like Love it. the kings of the whole thing, and they feel yes. it all shifting under their feet and they're lashing out of, Oh, will be my favorite. And, yes. You know, yes. 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 Oh there my gosh. Go. You nailed it. You got it. Oh. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Out of um, anything out of this podcast, we have learned that higher ed has turned into succession. Has or... turned into succession. Does that. Now, here's my question. Does that make people like us, uh, Cousin Greg and Tom Wamsgam? You know what I mean? Is that who we are? Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I think that there's, there's uses for us. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's also the good intentions. Yes. And, and that is what I don't want to be missed out of all of our conversation is, Anybody that is in higher ed or that is working in higher ed has some sort of value system that wants to see people succeed and yes. that and that wants to see students attain an education that fits for them. Um, and that might and, be where the succession model breaks apart a little bit. Yeah, a little it, bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that's probably where it does break your right. And you know, I know that no matter what you want to see, you do want to see schools succeed in, in their right fit in their right niche, uh, market. Um, but you need the, the Toms and you, you need the good people on your side to, to help you get there, um, that have the best, your best intentions. Indeed. I don't know a more perfect place to end it than that, but uh, really appreciate the conversation. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you taking the time.